Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. You guys have a copy of the word this morning. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 as we get back into this book of Ecclesiastes, this wisdom literature that we've been studying now for a few months. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, so um, you may be very familiar with some of the verses in this chapter, and it just brought me to this place where I was just really thinking about how Solomon, as we believe, is the author of this book, and he's looking at life again from that temporary perspective. He's like, I try, I've tried everything. I've, I've seen the, the righteous suffer. I've seen the wicked prosper. I've seen man work his whole life to build up everything that he could possibly imagine just to lose it all or to die and give it to somebody else. He sees that this, this sense of injustice in the world, that just because you are living your life according to God's um, righteous standards and, and laws and, and ordinances and trying to strive after God, it still does not guarantee that you're going to be immune from suffering. It does not guarantee that you're going to be immune from injustice or, or, or oppression or trouble and so Solomon's trying to he's trying to reconcile all of these things in his heart and in his mind and, and again if you're not careful if you just read the book of Ecclesiastes and sometimes if you just if you just pull sections of it out uh, out of context it could really come across as a book that that is is depressing because Solomon oftentimes he's like everything's meaningless like what's the point you know and and he's getting to that point, and, and we get to that point um, sometimes throughout the, the book itself, but really at the end of the book, we really get to the meaning and the, and the purpose behind it all. But, but it's, it's natural for us to wrestle with these things. That's what I appreciate about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's because we wrestle, we struggle, we ask those questions, and we wonder, Lord, what are you doing? Why is this happening? What's the point? What's the reason? What's the purpose behind it all? And today, we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about friendship. It has been said that a man, a man is poor who has no friends. Think about the friends in your life right now. Some of us are fortunate enough to have friends who belong to our biological family. Some of us are not so fortunate. Sometimes the relationships we have in our biological family do not necessarily translate into close friendships. Some of us have really good friends, your ride or die friends that have been there with you from the very beginning, and they're those people that you can count on, and they're going to be there for you, and they're, they're going to they're stand up for you even when they know your way and you're wrong. You have some of those friends, you're, you're fortunate. And then the other part of that is that God gives us a church family where we are bound and, and we, find, we find agreement and harmony and fellowship with believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can establish friendships within the context of a church family. And man, I thank God for my church family. I thank God for you guys. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know how people make it without a church family. I mean, they, they figure it out, I guess. They, but to me, it's, it's, a, it's almost impossible for me to, to imagine what my life would be without you guys. To have those people there 
for us, especially in our time of need. You know, if you can count the number of true friends that you have in your life on one hand, I would think that you're probably a very blessed person. I mean, when we talk about really true, true friends, I mean, we, we may have a lot of acquaintances, we may have a lot of people who we're friendly with, but you know what I'm talking about, those people in your life that right now, you could call them right now, you could call them any time of the day, any day, any hour of the night, and they would not hesitate, they would drop everything that they were doing, and they would what? They would be there for you. How many of those people can you count on one hand? And there are some people who have trouble counting. They have trouble identifying who are those friends. And so the title of my message, just to go ahead and I'll go ahead and give you the, the, uh, the punchline away, is that what a friend we have in who? In Jesus. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. And that's where, when I read this chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, we're going to kind of work through it together here in just a moment. But it's just like everything that Solomon is talking about and struggling with, it just, it just, Jesus just keeps coming to the forefront. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Jesus. Wait a minute, that's Jesus. Wait a minute, Solomon. Oh, Jesus. Frustrated with right now is resolved in the person of Jesus. And that's what we have in him. What a friend did we have in and so let's work through Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to read the first six verses, and we'll get started this morning. Listen to what Solomon says. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, Again, I saw the oppression, all of the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. They didn't have a friend. On the side of their oppressors, their power dead, there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but even better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. What Solomon's saying, he's saying it's better that you're not even yet lost, not even yet dead. He's wrestling with these things. Verse 4, Then I saw all the toil and skill and work that come from man's envy of his neighbor. And this is also vanity, a, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. So the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that when we're thinking about Jesus and someone who is a friend what a friend that we have in Jesus is. I want, to, I want to bring this to your attention. So Jesus came, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you three primary reasons. These are not all exhaustive, but three primary reasons. Why did the Son of God come into the world? What was God moved by? What moved the Son of God to step out of his place in heaven, in the glorious place in heaven that he, that he was in, to humble himself, take on human form, to become a man, and he came to this earth for many different reasons, but these I want you to hold on to them today. Number one, he came to liberate the oppressed. He came to heal the broken hearted. And he came to comfort those who mourn. So let's talk about those three things today. Oppression. 
Now, we live in a unique culture and a unique time and a unique nation in, in history. We live in the United States of America, the land of the brave, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? We've experienced a freedom like no other nation perhaps has ever experienced in the history of mankind. We don't when we think of know about oppression that much. At least what we're or situate about people groups who are oppressed or governments who are oppressive over their people or situations within the context of a culture where people groups are oppressed. And we have had our share of oppression in this, in this nation as well throughout our history. I acknowledge those things. But however, when you look at where we are today, we stand apart as a nation that is very free and we have the freedom to go and do basically as we please. So the pursuit of happiness, right, is built in right there into the Declaration of independence. But when we think about the history of mankind in general, if we think about the experiment, the experience of humanity from the very beginning, let's just be honest, guys, oppression has been the story of mankind. It really has. Oppression. What, what kind of oppression are we talking about? Again, there's, there's oppression from a spiritual perspective. When you think about the the Bible and you think about the, the nations and you think about the governments of the world and you think about what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches us that all of the nations of the world are being ruled over by unseen forces, spiritual forces of darkness in the, in the what? Heavenly places. Y'all understand that, right? So that every nation of the world, even this great nation, the United States of America, I believe is being ruled and dominated right now by a spirit of darkness, a spirit of oppression. Seen realm, the spiritual force, that spirit of oppression really begins to play out top down from the unseen realm, the spiritual forces of darkness that are that are working behind the scenes, pulling the strings, as it were, corrupting mankind, corrupting the leaders of the kingdoms of the earth, the governments of the earth, all of the major institutions in our world. I mean, we could sit here and talk about that all day. We understand that. And so you have this, this spiritual oppression from the beginning of time, and that manifests now in our reality with things like injustice and deception and abuse and fear and perversion and idolatry and evil and suffering and ultimately death. And so when we think about oppression, we here in America, even though we may not be experiencing this covert or this, what I'd say, overt oppression, because we do have this some level of freedom here in America, but that doesn't mean that we're not oppressed. Because some of you came in here today and you're what? You're oppressed. You're weighed down. You're burdened. Something's, lay, something's weighing very heavy upon you. What? Oppression. If there's anything in your life in darkness or in a sense of heavy burden or being in chains or bondage or whatever that means, guys, that is the true definition of oppression. So it may look different in our lives, and that takes so many different shapes and forms in our life, but we are a people who has the very serious risk of feeling oppressed. And there's a spiritual component to that. There's a cultural component to that. We live in a world where that's very evident, and then there's something going on within us, each and every one of us, and we're dealing with this, this terrible three-letter word that we all hate. It's called what? Sin. And if you hadn't experienced oppression because you've been in bondage, in fact, and you hadn't left, 
because it gets a hold of all of us in some form or fashion. And so oppression is real. The second thing that it's real is that everybody in this room today has had their heart what? Broken heart. Man, there's almost nothing worse than a broken heart. Especially who, who breaks our hearts the most? The ones that we love the most, right? It always works that way. The ones that we love the most, the ones that love us the most, they're the ones that have the capacity to break our hearts. So if you've lived any kind of life in this world today, you have had your heart broken. And most of us have experienced heartbreak more than once. And it's terrible. I mean, it's nothing worse than feeling like that, just that, that sinking, gut-level, desperate, just sickening feeling in your, in your soul, knowing that somebody that you trusted or somebody that you love or somebody that you, that you put so much time and energy and effort into, and then they, they break your heart. And that can, again, that can take so many different forms in our life, but we all know what it feels like to experience a broken heart. And the last thing that we have experienced is that we all have experienced the sting of death, the devastation of loss, what have I just described? And we've all cried tears of sorrow and of grief. What have I just described to you guys? This is the human experience. Now you begin to understand what Solomon talking about. Man, you know what? If this child that you're bringing into the world only knew what they're going to have to face, the evil in this world, the pain, friend, the heartache, the heartbreak, the loss, the oppression, Sometimes you begin to ask yourself, it may be better that they not, are not even what? Not even born. Now, I don't think that's true, and I'll tell you why later. But again, we can begin to see and rationalize what Solomon is talking about. It's like, man, it is hard. This life is tough. And Solomon knows that this heartbreak and disappointment is un inevitable. It's unavoidable. And so we... We can look at this and we can say, you know what, maybe this life is not worth living. You know, if that's, if that's what we're going to bring children into, look, I, there are people in the world today who do not feel like they're supposed to bring children into this world. And you know what, I understand where they're coming from. I don't agree with that, but I understand where they're coming from. And much of their premise for not having children is because they don't want to bring children into this world because it's so what? So evil. And I get that. That's exactly what Solomon's talking about right here. Again, I don't agree with that, but I understand it. I understand where they're coming from. And if we back up for just a second and we say, wait a minute, without God, all of this stuff, if this is unavoidable, without God, life really is not, it's not worth living. To me, it's not. Again, I, I begin to look at how do people go through life without God, without any faith system, without any belief, any foundation of faith in their life. I don't know. They, they figure it out, I guess. But to me, when you remove God from that equation, I've talked to you about this before, life's not worth living. But, but, that's right, Randy, our, our senior pastor, he says his favorite word in the Bible, but, but God, right? But see, with God, when we understand that what God has done, we understand that Jesus what a friend that we have in him is that the reason that he came into the world 
Much of why he experienced life on a human level, in human form, is that he had to come and he wanted to experience oppression. You don't think Jesus was oppressed? Of course he was oppressed. You don't think Jesus experienced heartbreak? Man, think about it this way. God experiences heartbreak every single day. Because guess who's breaking his heart? I am. You don't think Jesus mourned and wept and experienced the pain of loss and death and grief? Of course he did. That's much of the reason why Jesus came into the world to begin with. And so what do we see in Jesus? Is that Jesus has not eradicated all of evil yet, right? We, we still have graveyards, as I mentioned earlier. There's still a lot of injustice and evil and suffering in the world. We get that. But there is a promise that there's a coming day on that day when Jesus returns that he's bringing an end to all of the oppression and bringing an end to all of the heartbreak and bringing an end to all the mourning and the loss. Because what does the Bible tell us? He says, on that day, I will make a new heaven and a new earth and I will wipe away every, every tear. There'll be no more suffering, sin, sickness, or death. That's a promise. And so we look to Christ and we understand that that's the reason why he came to provide these solutions for some of life's biggest problems. So if you have, have your Bible, flip with me real quick. Look at Jeremiah, excuse me, Isaiah 61. If you turn to your right, turn to the right in your Bible, just a few books over to the right. You're going to go to Isaiah 61. This is one of the, the clearest prophetic passages that speaks of the Messiah. And if you remember when, when Jesus came into Nazareth, which was his hometown, and he went on the Sabbath day into the synagogue, he took the part of the scroll that had this passage on it, Isaiah 61. And he, unroll, he unrolled the scroll and he began reading. And in his reading of this passage, that passage was being what? Being fulfilled. At the very moment that Jesus took Isaiah 61 and began to read it out loud in front of his peers, in front of his hometown, this passage was being fulfilled. What did he read? Listen to what Jesus' word said. And this comes back to Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the what? There it is. To proclaim liberty, freedom, to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. He came to set the oppressed what? Free. To bind up our broken hearts, to heal broken hearts, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion and give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness and a planting of the Lord and may be glorified. This is what Jesus came to do. So what is it that Jesus does to liberate us from oppression? Let me ask you this. Can you physically be oppressed and yet spiritually or in your soul be free? Set the captive possible. 
I believe it's possible. So when we say Jesus came to set the captives free, I do believe he's, he's against um, captivity. He's against slavery, of course. He's against holding people and binding people against their will and, and all of that from a very physical perspective. But I think what Jesus is really getting to the heart of is that even though you may not be able to remove yourself physically from an oppressive situation, when you come to Jesus and he comes into your life, what happens is that he sets you free where? In your soul and in your heart and in your spirit, in your mind. And he gives you a joy that no one can take from you. A joy that comes from within and that nobody can steal from us. A freedom of the soul, a freedom of the spirit. You see, guys, this is why Jesus came to set us free and to liberate us from oppression. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And eventually, eventually, again, on that day, when he returns, when he, when he returns, he will liberate everyone from all oppression, including physical oppression. He'll eliminate all the corrupt and oppressive governments and institutions of the world so that no one will live underneath that oppression ever again. That's what Jesus has come to do. The second thing he came to do is to heal our I want to ask you a question. Who else do you know can heal your broken heart? Can you heal your own broken heart? I hadn't figured that one out yet. Can your best friend or your mom or your spouse or your children or your pastor or your counselor or whoever, can they heal your broken heart? I don't think so. Now, they can help. They can provide understanding and comfort and, and be a listening ear and maybe speak godly wisdom into our life or whatever it may be. But, guys, the reality is, is that in my life, when I have had a broken heart, Unfortunately, I'll go to my friend or my spouse or my counselor or my pastor or my or whoever else, anybody else in my life here, I need them first. And I'm like, man, my heart's broken. Help me. I need some help here. I need you. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but guys, who's the only one that can really heal a broken heart? Jesus. Man, what does that look like? And and I think that it's a it's something that supernaturally the Bible talks about him. He takes our our heart of stone, he removes the heart of stone out of our out of our our life, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. And you say, Well, what does that mean? It means that God can take that broken heart of stone that's been that's been shattered and 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 just severed or whatever it may be, and he can replace it with a heart of flesh that's beating with life again. That's healed, that's whole again. And Jesus is the only one that's able to do that. And I think the key to the, the healing of a broken heart is surrender. It's surrender. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. We can hold on to it, and we can, we can get defensive, or we can get settled in our resentment, or we can get settled in our bitterness, or our anger, or whatever it may be, and we can just we can just hold on to this broken heart and we, we think that nothing's going to change and, and it's always going to be like this. And God is finally telling you, he's saying, listen, I just, I, I want to heal your broken heart. I want to take it. I want to make it whole again. I want to heal it again. But what do we have to do with that heart? We've got to stop holding on to it, trying to control it. And we have to what? We've got to give it over. We're like, God, I can't, I can't, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I've tried. It's not working. So here, Lord, take my heart, let it be yours. You do with my heart whatever it is that you can do, that you want to do. 
And he says that moment of surrender when we give it up, that is when God begins that process of healing our broken hearts. And so Jesus came to liberate us from the oppressed. He came to heal our broken hearts, and he came to comfort those who mourn. What does the scripture say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed be comforted. Mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be comforted. The psalmist says, God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who have crushed in spirit. And so as Solomon is, is talking about this, he's like, look, I've looked around the world, and man, it's a shame to find people who have no one to comfort them. And you could say that if there's a person in this world who had no friends, no one that they could call, nobody that they could turn to, nobody that they could, they could seek out to help them through their heartbreak and their suffering and their pain and their loss, you still have someone who is there to what? To comfort you. That's the message of the, of the, of the cross of the gospel. His name is Jesus. And so Jesus came to do these things. The second thing we see with Jesus is that Jesus is called, he's a friend. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he made us a promise. He said, I'm never going to what? I'm never going to leave you. I will never leave you alone. So look at Ecclesiastes 4.7. Look at what it says. I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never Ask, for who am I working and depriving my pleasure, myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and unhappy business. So Solomon's looking around the world and he's saying, look, I'm looking at, at all of these people living under the sun. And there's a person who has no one. Not a son, not a brother, not a friend. And yet in the scripture we're told that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You see, we're created for relationships. If you go around and ask, thing, ask everybody in this room, what's the most valuable thing in your life? I would dare say 100% of us would, would come down to saying the most valuable thing in our life is our what? Our relationships. You could have all the money in the world, and if you're all alone, what good is it to you? You could have the best job in the world. You could have the, the, the highest fame and, and popularity of anybody, uh, whatever you may think that the people have uh, accolades and, and fame and popularity, but you don't have anybody to share it with. What is it? Nothing. You can have the best car. You can have a uh, nice house. You can have your health. You can have all of this kind of stuff. But if you don't have healthy, vibrant relationships with the people that you love, you are a poor man. You are. And so relationships is what life is really all about, and that's what Solomon's getting at here. He's saying, I'm looking around, and there's somebody that doesn't even have a, a son or a brother, nobody to be there for him when they need him the most. And so we have these gifts from God, again, these relationships that God gives us. But you know what I've learned, and, and you've probably learned it as well, is as much as we love our family and our friends and even our church family and all the people in our lives, eventually everybody's going to let us we're going to let it down. At some point, everybody else in my life is gone. My house. But the 
there's a friend that sits closer than a brother that has never let us down. Never let us down. His name is Jesus. And so there are times when we fear this reality of being alone or maybe we've isolated ourselves or whatever it may be and we have to remember that we are never alone, not for one second. You see, Jesus has promised to never leave or forsake us. He says that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age, and that there is a friend who sits closer than a brother. Listen to what John uh, Jesus says in John 16. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer will I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus calls us his what? His friends. Man, we take that for granted. And he's, he's our best friend. And he's a good friend, Right? He's a faithful friend. He's the one that's always there, never lets us down again. No matter how many we need down or other people let us down, the one person who's always there is Jesus. And we need to take advantage of that. And the next part of that is, is that he's promised to be with us and never leave us alone. So how does that work? Well, you see, in the scripture, Jesus talks about giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You remember in John 14, 15, 16, what a powerful passage that is? And if you go back and read that, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's reminding them he's got to go to the cross. His time of suffering is about to happen and they're still confused about it. And he's like, look, listen, guys, I'm about to go away. And they're like, no way, Lord. You can't leave us now. And he said, no, as a matter of fact, it's better if I go away. And then they're like, they're really like, what are you talking about now? What do you mean it's better if you leave us now? He says, because until I leave you, it will not be possible for me to send to you who? The Holy Spirit. And it's a fascinating concept because we see in the person of Jesus, when he came into this world and he wrapped himself in human form and he became a man, he was limiting himself to be at one place at one time. You understand that, right? So in that day, when the disciples were with Jesus, if they wanted to be with him, they had to be where he was. He says, wait a minute, I'm going away to be with my Father, and when I go away, I'm sending you who? The Holy Spirit, so that wherever I am, you may be also at all times. Because the Spirit is going to come where? And live inside of you, dwell in you. The Bible says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you the advocate to be with you forever. It says you know him and he abides with you and he will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. So it is better that Jesus went away in the right hand of the Father because when sending the Holy Spirit to us now, wherever you go in this world, you take who with you? take him with you the holy spirit's with you what a friend you have in jesus it's always there the third thing that jesus does is that he will lift us up when we fall and he will help us in our time of need look at what it says in ecclesiastes 4 9 two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their, for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. They prevail against one. lie down together. They keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Anybody in here stumble a little bit in their walk? Anybody ever fallen flat on their face? It's hard to get up from that, isn't it? But we have the kind of a friend, a Savior, Jesus, that when we stumble, if we're walking with him, he's going to help us and try to prevent us from what? I begin falling. But what happens? At least me, I'm hard-headed. I, I stray away from him. I begin to wander off the path of righteousness. I begin to kind of wander away from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, I start to stumble, and there's no one to help me, to catch me from what? Falling. And I fall on my face, make a mess of my life. And thank God we don't have a Savior. We don't have a friend that comes to us and, and points his finger and says, See, I what? I told you so. How dumb could you be? I knew you were going to make a mess of your life. That's not the kind of a friend that we have, is it? No, he comes to us, and he probably has a... <sighs> he probably has one of those, those thighs. But he doesn't come with condemnation, does he? He says, look, it's going to be okay. Come on. Get up. Get on your feet. Let me dust you off a little bit. Now... Stay what? Stay close to me. Let's walk this thing together from now on because last time you got away from me, you started trying to do this on your own, and I wasn't there to catch you because you moved from me. I didn't move from you. You started to wander away from me. You took this path that you thought was going to give you something that it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't deliver, and now all of a sudden you ended up flat on your face and you, and you made a mess of your life and you have this, all these consequences that you're dealing with, but it's okay. I still love you, and I'm here for you. And we're going to lift us up. Isn't that, the, isn't that the picture of a true friend? He's there to lift us up when we fall and to help us in our time of trouble. He's not there to shame us or condemn us. Because you know what, guys, what I've learned in my life, that when people blow it, they are harder on themselves most of the time than anybody else. They know how bad they've blown it. We don't have to tell them. We don't have to, we don't have to remind them. He knows. And we know. But we have somebody who's there to lift us up. You know what I was thinking about? Thinking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Have y'all ever considered this? And just something, my, the way my mind works. Is he decides the minute that God made this plan and he decided Jesus, he, he, he decided the son was going to come into the world and become uh, born as a human. Like, do you realize that the minute that Jesus was conceived by that immaculate conception and he was born into this world it's like at that point there's no going back like jesus is bought into the human race he became what one of us think about that for a second the, the the god of the universe the creator of the universe said i'm gonna become a human once you go that far and you're born and you take on human form guess what jesus is still human right now did you know that He's still a man. Man, right now, his humanity, when he died and resurrected and went back to heaven, Jesus is still, there is a, a man right now, 
a son of Adam sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's commitment. He's like, I'm in this thing with you guys. Like, once I'm in, I'm all in. Like, there's no going back. He came in all the way. He didn't hold anything back. He's like, I'm here. I'm committed. And I'm coming into this world as the son of God, but also as the son of man. And I'm coming so that I can help you because I have experienced life on every same level that you've experienced it. I've experienced temptation in every same way that you've experienced it. I know what it means to have a broken heart. I know what it means to suffer. I know what it means to grieve and to mourn. I can identify with you in your weaknesses and in your suffering. That's what Jesus came to do. He's like, I'm I'm all in, guys. I'm committed to this relationship. Think about it. I mean, he's, he's bought into us. And he's there for us to help us through the most difficult times of our lives. It says we, have, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way as we are, but he was what? Without sin. He passed the test. He had to pass the test. He was tempted, but he passed the test. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to go back and think about your life just for a moment. Do it, do it, just kind of do a scan of your life. Think about the most difficult times of your life, the times that you needed God the most. In my experience, I think back on those times, and I'm like, how did I get through that? And it's, and it's really, when you're in the middle of it, you don't understand what's happening. But you get on the other side of that, and you look back, years. I don't even know how I made it. Like, there's years of my life, I'm, I'm being straight honest with you guys, there's years of my life that's a blur. I don't, I don't remember much about it, it's just a blur. Very difficult times of my life, and I look back on that time, and I'm like, how did I even make it through this? Like, I don't even know how I was functioning at the time. And then I realized that, well, there's only one way that I could have ever made it through that because Jesus had to carry me through it. I began to realize, I'm like, it wasn't me at all. Like, this was all him. He had, to, he had to carry me through the storm because there's no other way I can explain making it through the difficult times, the most terrible times of my life, the strength and the desire even to yourself. Guess what? Here I am. And here you are. You're still what? still here you're still you're still striving you're still through the most difficult times of up and you think about it that's Jesus carrying us through the most difficult times of our life I know you've heard this before one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord and scenes from my life flashed across the sky and in each I noticed footprints in the sand and sometimes there were two sets of footprints but other times there was only one And during the low periods of my life, the most difficult times of my life, I could see there was only one set of footprints. And I said, Lord, you promised why were you walk with me always. You would never leave me. So why, Lord, when I needed you the most, why were you not there for me? And the Lord replied, it was at this that you see only one set of footprints, my child, because those are the times that I walked with you. I carried you through. It was his footprints, not mine. And that's the friend that we have in Jesus. 
three-strand cord, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Just a little side note to say something real quick about that is that is that if you take three cords, three ropes, and you weave them together, man, you make a really strong, a really strong bond, a really something that is unbreakable almost. And you think about every relationship that you have in your life, marriage relationship, parent, spouse, sibling, friends, coworkers, and if you can, if you're able, there needs to be three people involved in that relationship. You, your loved one, and who's the one in the middle? Jesus is that three-strand cord that he holds that relationship together so that that relationship is not easily broken. Just a little side note. The last thing I'm going to share with you is this. Jesus, so, so better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though, though in his own kingdom he had only been born poor. And so Solomon's looking at this and he's like, look, it's better to have a, a young, poor person who's experienced some humility in their life, but then they are exalted to become what? To become the king. People will follow that man. Why? Because he's what? He's humble. They'll follow the king who's been young and poor and experienced life, but it's the old, wise, proud king who's had everything given to him. He's entitled. He's arrogant. Nobody wants to what? Follow that king. What a friend we have in Jesus. What does the Bible say about Jesus? He is the king of kings who became what? Poor. For our sake, so that we could have and inherit eternal life. Think about that. The God of heaven, all of the glory that he experienced as the king of glory. He stepped out of heaven. He became poor. Listen to what the scripture says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Now that's an understatement, right? The creator of the universe is pretty what? Yet for whose sake? Pretty rich. He owns what? Everything. He was rich. Yet for whose sake? For your sake, for our sake. He became poor so that the free gift of life was what? You might become rich. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life was what? Eternal life. It's a free gift. The riches of inheriting eternal life. What a friend we have in Jesus. In Philippians 2, the Bible says that, that even though Jesus was the, by very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to, to hold on to, but he humbled himself, right? He made himself likeness of things. He took on the form of a servant. He became born in the image and likeness of a man, and he was willing to what? Suffer and die. Not just die, but the most brutal, excruciating death that any of us could have ever died. Death on a cross. So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will what? Bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because his name is the name above all names. Why? Because for our sake, the God of heaven, the King of glory, who was rich, was willing to become poor so that for our sake, we could become what? We could become rich. What a friend we have in Jesus. And so as Solomon 
works through all of these struggles and all of these, you know, these paradoxes that he's trying to wrap his mind around. He's the one that can. You just plug Jesus right in the middle of all of it, and he's the answer. He's the one that came to set us free, to heal our hearts, to have a friend, to speak closer to a brother, to lift us up when we are in our time of need, to help us. And he's the one that became poor for our sake so that we could get the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of eternal life. So I'm going to ask, um, ask Dion to come up, and we're going we're gonna to sing that song together. What a friend we have in Jesus. And the, the only simple application that I want to give you today, guys, is this. Is do not forget that you are never friend. You're never alone. You're never alone. Even if your best friends and your family and anybody else in your life let you down or disappoints you, you have a friend in Jesus, and he will be there to comfort you in your time of need. So I want to sing this last song together, and uh, we're going to close out. If you want to come for prayer, you pray where you are. Whatever it is that you need, let the Lord minister to your heart right now. So let's stand together as we sing.